0: We saw George Floyd murdered, and we all cried out for justice to be done. If the same event had happened, and if social media existed back in the 1950s, I imagine our news feeds would look different from the way that they do now. And there's hope in that, isn't there? Moreover, It's astonishing to me, and it's actually a bit of a hopeful sign, but it's also kind of hypocrisy on our faces that we as a culture who have abandoned the judge, turned our backs on God, totally run full speed after postmodernism and moral relativism, are now suddenly speaking like a bunch of moral absolutists. It's a bit ironic that we as a culture fired the judge, but now we're calling out for justice. Do you see how culture itself is borrowing from Christianity now? This is very common. My atheist friend, you have some serious questions to answer before you can go on making those right and true and good moral statements that you're tweeting. You see, you feel compelled right now to virtue signal and show everybody how woke you are, But what you don't realize is that you betray your own worldview when you do that because unavoidably your worldview is nihilism, nothingness, meaninglessness. You don't have a framework. You don't have a standard. You don't have a rubric to differentiate good from evil, but you definitely are calling evil evil, which means you presuppose good. Here's what I propose. Come home to the author of that truth that you've appropriated. You see, your whole life you've never, or as long as you've been an atheist, you've never had an answer for the question, like, where does a single grain of sand in this universe come from, ex nihilo? You'll, you'll never be able to answer that with an atheism. You just simply will not, it's not possible the moment you do have something to fill in that conspicuous blank, it will cease to be atheism, because the only thing that could occupy that is something like God and you'll, you'll never be, you'll never actually fully delude yourself into believing that life could self-generate through utterly unguided processes. This is what has given rise even to neo-Darwinistic, neo-evolutionism, the idea that there was a guiding process. You know that life couldn't have created itself, and also you know it now more than ever. That I outcry, that rage within your heart, that rage is against the injustice that you've seen, That is also proof of your deep conviction that you know there is such thing as right and wrong. There is a moral arbiter, and he is God. We have cried out for justice, but we abandoned the judge. I think it's time that we come home. I propose, I propose like in the days of King Asa, for whom one of my sons is named, that we come back to the word of God, that we dust off this book, and we find exactly the hope that we're clamoring and calling out for. There are members of our church who are part of law enforcement and the government, and I know many of you, and you're godly people who walk with the Lord and have integrity and conduct yourself with wisdom and justice, just like it's taught in the book of Proverbs. Thank you for that. You are actually perhaps on the front lines of a place where this could actually make a difference. I think it's great that everybody's expressing solidarity, but we all agree with each other. Okay, if you're there in the front lines of an environment whereupon you'd come upon those who would commit acts of police brutality. In the case of George Floyd, we don't necessarily know that there were racist motives. Moreover, there were four complicit cops, one of them actively committing the act, the other three standing there in tacit approval, and they were all different ethnicities. Rather, this is an example of, of terrible police brutality. Like, as you come upon a culture that would lend itself to that, as you come upon this culture that would lend itself to racial profiling. If you, as you come upon racist jokes by the water cooler, you are on the front lines. You are actually where you could, by the power of the gospel, see somebody fun- fundamentally transformed. I think it's great that we as a public are crying out for justice, but I think we also miss something. While we condemn the, even the supposed, even the alleged just theoretical racism of others, We condemn ourselves because as you call out wrongdoing in others, you'd better have your own integrity intact yourself. Consider now the irony of decrying racism publicly while carrying on an extramarital affair. These are sins, both of them. We, as a culture, have our very rights built on the same kind of wisdom that is written perfectly in the book of Proverbs. Our rights, that system of pervading justice to which we appeal, both in the microcosm of the United States of America and then in the meta sense and the larger transcendent sense comes from God. They both, they both come from the same thing. Our rights come from our Creator. And George Floyd was endowed by his Creator with the right to life, and it was stripped of him over the use of a fraudulent $20 bill we look at that and it enrages us. We are appealing ultimately to the Creator when we cry out out for justice. My atheist friend, I want to invite you into a coherent worldview at last, that you would see that your cries for justice point to your need for the gospel, and that when you speak with authoritative moral truth, you're actually borrowing from Christianity anyway. You could read the whole book of Proverbs and take out verse 7, and you would agree with 95 plus percent of it. And that's the problem. See, you've borrowed from Christianity, you've appropriated Christianity, Judeo Christianity. This is an Old Testament book. You would agree with Judaism as well. But if you don't surrender to the Lord, then you have missed the point of the whole entire book. We're moving book by book to the Bible. The book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. As we go from one historical book, we then, quarter for quarter, go to a different genre each time, All right? Explore the Bible will go from, say, like Genesis or Joshua, an historical book, to Luke or John, a gospel, to Galatians or Ephesians, an epistle, to now Proverbs, a book of wisdom. So we systematically move genre for genre. We're not just moving arbitrarily. And as we've arrived at this book, you're gonna find it to be just the most practical book of the whole Bible. But if you don't acknowledge its opening interpretive key in verse seven in the opening chapters, you miss the whole point of the whole book of wisdom. It's not a bunch of tweetable tidbits that you can borrow from. It is wisdom that comes from a holy God. And if you take his wisdom, but you don't acknowledge him, you miss the whole point of this book. It's written by Solomon. Not all of them, but most of the Proverbs are written by Solomon. Solomon also wrote a couple of Psalms, and he wrote Song of Songs, and he wrote Ecclesiastes. He was given divine wisdom by God, and it's from that divine wisdom that these Proverbs were drawn. Here's the moment it happened 1 Kings 3, verse 4. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there because it was the most famous high place. He offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. God said, Ask. What should I give you? The ultimate invitation of all human history right there. And Solomon replied, you have shown great and faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, righteousness, and integrity. You have continued this great and faithful love for him by giving him a, a, a son to sit on his throne as it is today. Lord, my God, you have now made your servant a king in my father David's place. Yet I am just a youth with no experience in leadership. Your servant is among your people you have chosen, a people too many to be numbered or counted Counted. So give your servant a receptive heart to judge your people and to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Now it pleased the Lord that Solomon had requested this. So God said to him, because you've requested this and did not ask for long life or riches for yourself or the death of your enemies, but you ask for discernment for yourself to administer justice, I will therefore do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and understanding heart so that there has never been anyone like you before and never will be again. In addition, I will give you what you did not ask for, both riches and honor, so that no king will be your equal during your entire life if you walk in my ways and keep my commands. Keep my statutes. Just as your father David did, I will give you a long life. And so God gives him divine wisdom. And from this wisdom, according to verse 32, he spoke 3,000 proverbs. That's, it's from those 3,000 proverbs that this book is derived. His songs numbered 1,005. This is actually also where Psalms 70, 72, and 127 came from. And he spoke uh, to emissaries and people from every king of the earth. There are other collections as well. There are 18 psalms attributed to Solomon found in a book, uh, a collection of books called the Peshitta, and it's called the the Psalms of Solomon. However, uh, 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 these, the, both the Peshitta and the Psalms of Solomon and the Apocrypha don't are not acknowledged as part of the 66 books of the Protestant canon that we know for a fact to be the word of God. And for that reason, they're not a part of the historic teachings of Highlands Community Church. Moreover, about this guy Solomon, about our author, you need to know he was not perfect. In fact, he would himself personally go on to defy some of the same counsel that he gives his sons in the book of Proverbs as he teaches them. He's the king of Israel. His sons are gonna be king of Israel. So he teaches them how to be kings one day. This is partly why... Some psalms and proverbs are written in an acrostic that's arranged according to the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, He, Vav, Zion, Chet, etc. It's so that he was teaching his kids. And it's for that reason that they're structured according to the alphabet. So he's training them up, but he himself would defy some of the same advice he would give them. You see, Solomon would let us down he was a foreshadowing of Jesus. Even some of the prophecies regarding his birth, surrounding the circumstances of his birth, like in 2 Samuel 7 and Psalm 132, they all point to the way that Solomon both, both he fulfilled what was prophesied about him, but he also foreshadowed Jesus. Like, he ultimately, ultimately would disappoint us. He would ultimately let us down. Did you know that all of us. Okay, I'm just going to speak, speak on behalf of pastors in general. Okay, if we haven't let you down yet, just give us a minute. Okay, we are imperfect. He's the perfect one. If your faith is in me as a man, it is misplaced. Okay, I'm a redeemed sinner just like you, fellow Christian. Rather, let your hope be in the perfect one. Don't let me be the hero of your faith or any other pastor at Highlands Community Church. Rather, let Jesus be the hero. Solomon let us down. He He's given perfect wisdom. He's given ultimate wealth. That wealth in particular really gets to him. He at one point was a faithful husband. We're going to skip ahead on our sermon series just a little bit early to go to Song of Songs, also titled Song of Solomon. And he's faithful to his first bride, but then he gets jaded. The Bible never condones polygamy, marrying multiple people, or polyamory, having multiple intimate relationships with multiple people at a time. Solomon would take on a harem of some 700 plus concubines, very illicitly living a, a sexually, sexually sinful lifestyle. And then, then how many of you guys went to high school camp in 2018? Okay, comment and let me know if you remember when we went through the book of Ecclesiastes. It's after Solomon is jaded and burnt out on all the pleasures of this world, having glutted himself on, like, everything this world has to offer, he finds it all meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. That's where the book of Ecclesiastes comes from. And this is what Solomon wrote. So he's not a perfect person. He's not a perfect man. He fell from grace, but God gave him perfect wisdom. And it's from exactly that perfect wisdom that the book of Proverbs comes So, with that context in mind, for the whole book itself as well as the book to come, let's read the sacred wisdom of Solomon. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for learning wisdom and discipline, for understanding insightful sayings, for receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity, for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced, knowledge and discretion to a young man. Let a wise person listen and increase learning, and let a discerning person obtain guidance for understanding a proverb or a parable, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. So open the book of Proverbs. There are 31 chapters here, which means you could go through one a day every day for a 31-day month. If you've been missing out on a devotional plan, here's one for you. We're only gonna spend 10 weeks in this book, which means that most of the, most of the apprehension of what's taught here is gonna happen with you individually, reading your Bible on your own, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, a part of the community of believers. The operative key, the interpretive key to the whole book is verse seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and discipline. Because you fear the Lord, you know where matter came from. You know where life came from. You know where morality came from, and you know where it's going. The ultimate important questions to answer in the human experience are all answered by a fear of the Lord. That's step one. And so with clear consciences, you can move on to step two. If you're an agnostic, my agnostic friend, you're also in no position to be making moral statements. Your whole worldview etymologically is named for ignorance. The prefix a negating gnosko for knowledge is in like, I don't know. If you don't know, don't speak. And when you make moral statements, look at how you're borrowing from Christianity to do that. You don't have to have this paradoxical, incomplete worldview anymore. All of your statements have been falsified a priori because you're built upon an abyss. No more of that foolishness. Instead, acknowledge the creator God who brought matter into existence, who brought life, who brought about morality and has an intentional purpose for you and for all of his creation. A fear of the Lord. Let's talk about those those words for a little bit. Like to fear the Lord. You see, I don't like the idea of fearing the Lord. Can we be honest why that is? Is it possible that you have been subject to some false teaching and you don't like the idea of a God who is to be feared? You'd prefer a castrated, powerless God who can't do anything. You prefer a God who doesn't have any wrath for sin and as a result really won't call you out when you sin. Is that why you don't like the idea of fearing the Lord? Is it because you want to be the God of your own universe? That's why you don't like the idea of fearing the Lord. You want to be able to do whatever you want to do according to your own own sinful proclivities, and so there's no room in that worldview for a Lord to be feared. Have you been taught the lie that, like, you are the center of God's universe, and all of redemptive history revolves exclusively around you, and God is head over heels crazy about you and your glory and your redemption rather than his own glory and his own goodness. And for you, suddenly this idea of like fearing the Lord sounds, it sounds arbitrary. Would you understand the Word of God as He has revealed Himself and fear Him That doesn't mean that you shake in your boots and you bite your fingernails because you're deathly afraid of him, because to do that is to miss the point here, and it's also to neglect the gospels. You see, to fear the Lord is to look at him in reverential awe, to behold him in the glorious majesty of his immense power and awesomeness. Fear. Now, this reverential awe Beholding the colossal majesty of God is not in conflict with deep, intimate, loving fellowship, abiding in the Spirit of God who dwells right there within you. It is not incongruous or inconsistent with the loving, sweet, kind-hearted nature of Jesus as Emmanuel who touched lepers, who wept at Lazarus' grave even as he knew he was going to resurrect him. Fear the Lord. And what is it to say that he's Lord? Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's where your worldview begins. My atheist friend, it's time to back up several steps and answer these fundamental basic questions. You know that all your whole sense of morality has been made up on conjecture. Richard Dawkins failed to do it. Ayn Rand failed to do it. I read all their books. They all failed to do it. They're not practicing coherent thought. You know this. You've always known this. You've suppressed this truth. It's time to face it and find hope in Jesus. As you cry out for justice for George Floyd, remember that you're talking to the judge and it's not just corrupt police officers who will answer to him. It's you and me too. Are you prepared for that? When you call out to the judge... Do you have unpaid parking tickets? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you confess that he's Lord, that means you're going to repent from sin. That means you're going to turn away from evil and you're going to do that because he's Lord. He's in charge. That means you're not anymore. Are you prepared to surrender to the Lordship of God? If so, prepare to have your sense of wisdom find its home at last. This is this is incredible. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. When it says fools, okay, I know that I, we have like a, a whole lot of exceptionally intelligent people at our church. We've got a lot of Mensa members at our church. All right, listen, if you look at the word fool in Psalms and Proverbs, don't think of it as somebody who has a low IQ, because you look at it and you say, oh man, that poor sap. I'm glad I'm not him. And it's describing you. Okay, it's not just somebody who's unintelligent. It's somebody who is afflicted by a spiritual condition. They're outside of the will of God, and it could describe believers too. It's not only the mocker. You're going to see the mocker come up often in the book of Proverbs. It's not just the brawler. It's also sometimes the believer in God who knows better and disobeys God. That is foolishness. Fools despise wisdom. Why do they despise wisdom? Because it further further condemns them and draws them away from the banal carnalities that they indulge in. Despise wisdom and discipline. Ah, discipline's no fun. I'd rather have revelry and whatever my sin craves, whatever my sinful flesh craves. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. Let's continue in the text. Explore the Bible, and your small group's going to take you through verses 18 through 19. I want to pick us up in verse 20. You're going to see wisdom herself, that same thing that has haunted you, my atheist friend, that voice that calls to you, she's in verse 20. You see that thing that keeps you up at night where you're like, I know that universes don't create themselves. I know that it's totally implausible for life to have self-generated. I know that morality is real. Like this is wisdom calling out to you and it's time to face her. And it's also time to see the consequences for ignoring her. You're gonna see wisdom personified as this woman who's out there in the streets and she's just calling people in and people are ignoring her. And then you're gonna see another woman, but she is a seductress. She simultaneously represents Solomon's warning to his sons to be faithful husbands. You can imagine how he either said that after having really blown it or really condemning himself because he acted like a hypocrite later. But she's more than just a temptress unto adultery. She also represents the path to Sheol. She represents a path away from God. So there are these two women. One represents wisdom. The other represents a path to the grave. Which will you listen to? Listen to verse 20. Wisdom calls out in the street. She makes her voice heard in the public squares. She cries out above the commotion. She speaks at the entrance of the city gates. That's like where business was done. She's crying out above our commotion right now. Do you hear her? How long, inexperienced ones, will you love ignorance? How long will you mockers enjoy mocking and fools hate knowledge? If you respond to my warning, then I will pour out my spirit on you and teach you my words. Since I called out to you and you refused, extended my hand and no one paid attention, since you neglected all my counsel and did not accept my correction, I in turn will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when trouble and stress overcome you, then they will call me, but I won't answer. They will search me, but won't find me because they hated knowledge, didn't choose the fear of the Lord, were not interested in my counsel, and rejected all my correction. They will eat the fruit of their way and be glutted with their own schemes. Do you see how fair it all is? The worst case scenario for us is fair treatment. The worst outcome for us is reaping the fruits of our own labor, exactly what our own devices yield. That is the bad case scenario here. For the apostasy of the inexperienced will kill them meaning turning away, your apostasy, turning away from wisdom is going to kill you. The complacency of fools will destroy them. This is not a time for complacency, Christian. But whoever listens to me will live securely and be undisturbed by the dread of danger. I was contacted this week by somebody who is literally holding up in their house for fear. This is not God's will for you. This is not God's will for you. It's not God's will for you. My skeptical friend, if you've been running from God and you've had this gnawing, dragging on your heart, like I've got to be able to answer these basic questions like where matter comes from, where life came from, why it exists, and where it's going, and whether or not morality is true, this is the voice of wisdom. And if you reject her again, she's going to mock you on the day that calamity befalls you. Now, what follows in chapter 2 is all the good things that flow from listening to the voice of wisdom. This is awesome. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, listening closely to wisdom and directing your heart to understanding, furthermore, if you call out to insight and lift your voice to understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, the smartest man who ever lived said this, the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up success for the upright. He is a shield for those who live with integrity, so that he may guard the paths of justice and protect the way of his faithful followers. Hear that? Austin, Asher, Asa, Autumn Grace, right? When you see me do hand motions while I'm teaching Proverbs, it's because we sit at our table. I've got this spot. I had a friend make this table just for my family. There's a square written on the un- on the underside of it where I taught them the book of Proverbs. And I set my Bible. Sometimes it's this exact Bible, actually, down on the table. And when we come to certain proverbs, we make up hand motions. And this is one of them. All right? When you see a Campbell kid, you got to go like this. The Lord is a shield to those who have integrity. <laughs> this means integrity in the Campbell house because. I've been teaching my kids the book of Proverbs for five years. The Lord is a shield to those who have integrity. So that he may guard the paths of justice and protect the way of his faithful followers. Then you will understand righteousness, justice, and integrity. Every good path. Man, doesn't that sound good? My social justice warrior friend, aren't you ready to tweet that out? Make sure you take off the word Proverbs so that people don't know it comes from the Bible. (laughs) Consider the danger of relishing the goodness of the word of God here without acknowledging God, taking his wisdom, but leaving his sacrifice on the cross, leaving his resurrection behind. This will not save you. It will only rise up to condemn you on the day of judgment. It's beautiful and it's good, but remember, a fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will delight you, discretion will watch over you, and understanding will guard you. Man, doesn't that sound good? It will rescue you from the way of evil, from anyone who says perverse things. Okay, listen, here comes the other woman. She's approaching. From those who abandon the right paths to walk in the ways of darkness, from those who enjoy doing evil and celebrate perversion, whose paths are crooked and whose ways are devious. It will rescue you from a forbidden woman, from a wayward woman with her flattering talk, who abandons the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. I interpret this as a woman who has made a covenant before God and man to be faithful to her husband, but she abandons that for one of Solomon's sons who's being tempted. You can see that allegorically. She, result, she, represents, uh, she represents more than just adultery. More than just an adulterous woman trying to tempt one of his sons to have an affair, look at what follows. Here's how I, here's how I know that. For her house sinks down to death, and her ways to the land of the departed spirits. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament sense and understanding of death itself was Sheol. We'll talk more about that later. So follow the way of the good, and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those of integrity will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous ripped out of it. There was this guy that I knew in elementary school and I remember growing up in the deep South hearing this kind of stuff, hearing the N-word used in jest and seeing it. And I remember this one guy who was particularly fond of those kinds of jokes in elementary school. And then fast forward to 2004, both sophomores in college and, you know, thefacebook.com came out and we ended up all finding each other. And I barely remember who this guy was, but it was amazing to just reconnect with people that I'd forgotten about for years and years. And the same guy who used to say such racist things was now presenting himself as like this skinhead dude. And what was absolutely amazing to me was to watch what he shared over the years begin to change when he met Jesus, (laughs) when he started attending a predominantly African-American church and now does ministry there. I mean, like my, my atheistic, progressive, social justice warrior friend, can you name one person that you've seen transformed right, that you know person that you've seen, can you name anything else in the world that not only could save them from the sin of racism, but every one of their sins and everything, every one of your sins as well? I'm glad that we as a culture are crying out for justice to be done, but let us then return to the judge so he can administer it. You wanna talk about justice? I've got something way better for you than a mob silencing and shaming people into unfavorable opinions kept in silence. I've got something for you that will lead to the ultimate death of death. God has prophesied in his word what he's gonna do, that he makes everything that is wrong right. As I look at my Bible, I see him calling people for himself from every nationality, race, and ethnicity, and tribe, and language, and tongue. I see him assimilating for himself, calling to himself people from every nation, and we all bring our glory together and honor God with it there in heaven, which means that racial reconciliation today is a glimpse of heaven tomorrow, and God, when he makes everything that is wrong right, will destroy death, and will destroy death itself, and mock him as he falls, kicking him into a pit of burning sulfur, and as he casts death down, he will mock it, saying, where, O oh death is your victory? Where, O oh death is your sting? Death is swallowed up in victory. That is justice. That is my God, and when you talk about justice, you're crying out to him, and when you talk about the judge, you gotta be ready to stand before him. You want justice, you got it, but as a sinner like me, you need mercy, and here it is, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fear the Lord and confess him now, be saved and join in, not just just meager virtue signaling, trying to make yourself look like a good person when you tweet, but actually joining in the mission of God that results in heavenly and eternal racial reconciliation. Make disciples of Jesus Christ, bring revival to Seattle and watch racial reconciliation happen just like it did in the book of Acts. Here it is this is the moment, my skeptical friend, you have been doubted, you've been shaken, you have been kept awake at night by these questions, these fundamental questions, these basic questions. You don't even know how your own epistemology works. You've skipped over the most important blanks to be filled in. Well, today, at last, that Holy Spirit of God is drawing upon you. This is the day that you give your life to Christ. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Would you give your life to Him right now and confess Him as Lord? Pray right now. God, I confess that you are Lord. God, I behold your majesty. I behold your greatness. You are the one who spoke a hundred billion galaxies into existence. You are the one who created mankind in your own image, God. God, I fear you. I call out to you. I love you and I believe in you. I confess, God, that I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I confess that what I actually deserve is death because of my sin. But the gift that you offer is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the way, I believe that Jesus is the truth, I believe that Jesus is the life, and I know there's no way I can come to you, Father, except through Jesus. So right here and now, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. God I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. Say Jesus is Lord out loud right now, just say it, Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. No, God, let me be saved. Let justice flow. Let me be a part of it. And let me join every tribe and nation and language and tongue in heaven one day. God, would you bring justice upon sinners? And would you bring mercy to this one? I love you, Lord. Begin my knowledge upon your gospel. In Jesus' name.